the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Paul said on the road to Damascus, when I was running for God as fast as I could and was a legalist and a fanatic in my Judaism, he who set me apart from my mother's womb called me out of my rebellion and revealed his son to my heart. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, welcome. This is Abounding Grace. We are back in Galatians chapter 1, the first 11 verses, and we'll try and sneak into the next 24 as we spend time looking at the true gospel and false teachers. There is a variety of false gospels that permeate the world today, but there is one true gospel, and that's what we're looking at. As we do, we begin with a look at the Apostle Paul, his conversion on the road to Damascus, and the significance of this conversion and the account that we have in Scripture. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Paul was on his way to Damascus with a heart full of rage for Christians to arrest them that they might be destroyed. That was his will, beloved. That is what he wanted to do. He wanted to continue his hostile war against the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus, stepped in and he said, Paul, I know what you want, but here is what I want. And he launched him off of his horse, blinded him, and converted him right there on the spot. Paul didn't ask to be converted, he didn't want to be converted. Nor was he expecting to be converted, but he was no match for the sovereign will of Jesus Christ. And beloved, neither are you. You can resist and you can grit your teeth and you can say, I'm never going to believe this gospel of sovereign grace ever because it doesn't give credit to man's will as it deserves. I will never believe it, but your will is no match. For the sovereignty of God's grace. If you could match God's will. If your will determined to resist him. And it was as strong as his will. You are lost. Because we are such sinners that we will resist forever. But praise God. That his will is irresistible. Notice now that at his conversion here. Paul gives all glory to God. And shows that at each stage of Paul's conversion, God took the initiative and it was God's sovereign, omnipotent grace that caused his conversion. Now, I want you to notice in his little testimony in verses 15 and 16, what is not in it. He doesn't say, I decided to follow Jesus. I'm glad I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm glad I achieved something. 
I'm glad I exercise the freedom of my will. That's not in there. But notice what he says in verse 15. But when he who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood or with human beings. It is all of God. Notice the four things he says. Number one, why is he giving his testimony now? He is saying, I want you to see how God saved me. And then you'll realize I didn't just think this stuff up. I didn't take this authority upon myself. I just couldn't have done it and wouldn't have done it in my unsaved condition. There is no way I could have done it as you can see as I tell you how God saved me. First of all, he says in verse 15 that God set him apart before he was born. That God set Paul apart for salvation and apostleship while he was still in his mother's womb. Before Paul was born, God consecrated him to be a Christian and to be an apostle. And that means since God did it, before he was born, he had clearly nothing to do with it himself. God's grace is totally unmerited and sovereign. And Paul's not the only person that has given this kind of testimony. He says, I am what I am, not because of any decision I made. It is because of a decision God made about me before I was born. I'm concentrating, consecrating myself to God now because God consecrated me to himself before I was born. So turn with me to the first chapter of Jeremiah. I'm going to give you two other examples of people who um, said similar things to Paul. First, Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5. The Lord is addressing Jeremiah, and he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, before you could take any, make any decisions yourself as to whether you wanted to consecrate your life to me, I consecrated you to me. Now show me, beloved, where is the emphasis? Is the emphasis on Jeremiah and what he did? Or is the emphasis on what God did for Jeremiah? by grace before he was born. Is Jeremiah saying, I decided to consecrate my life to Christ, and that is why I am what I am? No, he says, I am what I am because God consecrated me before I was born. I did not choose. It's not something I earned. I wasn't even born when God graciously and sovereignly act in my behalf. In the ninth chapter of Romans, you see another illustration of this. Romans 9, 10 through 13. Now, if you've never read this before, hold on. We've studied it. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. 
But if it rubs you the wrong way, it says more about you than it does the Word of God. Let's read Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God says, before they were born, and they had any opportunity to do anything, I determined graciously that I would love Jacob, and I determined sovereignly that I would hate Esau. Before they were born, God determined their destiny. I love what Charles Spurgeon said because this verse is is a problem for a lot of people today in the church. Someone came to Spurgeon and said to him, I have a problem with that last verse. And Spurgeon asked, well, what's your problem? The man said, I just can't see why God hated Esau. Spurgeon said, well, that's interesting. I can't see why God loved Jacob. So we go back to Paul who said, I can't take credit for anything. Before I was born, God's sovereign grace determined my destiny, that I would be a Christian. Not only that, but he goes on. Notice the second phrase, verse 15. But when he had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. You see, even when Paul talks about the moment he actually became a Christian, he does it in terms of what God does to him. He says, God set me apart before I was born. But if he were a modern Christian, he would probably then say, but 15 years ago, I decided to follow Jesus. But Paul's not in here. It is all of God. He said, God not only set me apart before I was born, he called me through his grace, and that is when I became a Christian When God called me in my deadness, he called me out of it into life in Christ. And remember what was happening when Paul was called of God by his grace. Paul was fighting against God, against Christ and persecuting the church as hard as he could. He didn't ask for salvation. He didn't want it. He most certainly didn't deserve it. And yet, in Utter, undeserved love. God's mercy found him and God's grace called him. It was God who took the first step and called this rebel to himself. Sorry. And thirdly, not only did God set him apart before he was born, Not only did God take the first step and call him, not waiting helplessly for this dead sinner to have some response, 
But when he called him to be his disciple, it says in verse 15, that it pleased God to reveal his son in me. What does that mean? That means that Paul can't even take credit for understanding the Bible. He can't take credit for being consecrated to the office of apostle. He can't take credit for being a Christian because God called him while he was a rebel and this very well-educated man can't even take credit for any of his understanding of the gospel because it was God who revealed Christ to his heart. God revealed to him that Christ is truly God's son, that he is, really is the savior of the world and that everything else Christ claimed to be is true. God enabled Paul to see the significance and the glory of Christ in the gospel. He not only saw with his own eyes the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, but he was also given by God an inner illumination of his soul concerning Christ, which became so much a part of him that he longed to bear witness of it to other people. God revealed his son to Paul, and then after revealing himself to Paul, he revealed his son through Paul. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.3, If your gospel be hid, it is hid to those who are lost, in whom the God of this world was bl- has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not believe in the glorious light of the gospel. And then it says in verse 6, But he who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shined the light of the glory of God in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now that is what conversion is all about. When you listen to people give testimony of their conversion experience, you you, kind of wonder if they're really Christians at all. Oh, I went forward at a revival meeting, and I decided to become a Christian, and I have felt so much better since. Or, I became a Christian, and I felt my heart strangely become warm. Really? What did Calvin say about his conversion? By a sudden act of conversion, God subdued my heart to teachableness. No talk about a strangely warm heart. No talk about decisions and going forward and asking Jesus into his heart or anything that looks to man and man's actions. Calvin said, by a sudden act of conversion, God subdued my heart to teachableness. Paul said on the road to Damascus, when I was running for God as fast as I could, and was a legalist and a fanatic in my Judaism, he who set me apart from my mother's womb called me out of my rebellion and revealed his son to my heart. Do you see anything of man in those words? Do you think Paul might have been a hyper-Calvinist? Do you think he went too far? Do you think he didn't give man's will enough credit in giving his testimony brother or sister if that is your opinion you are questioning the apostle of Christ and to question the apostle is to question Christ himself whenever you give your testimony who 
is at center stage. You and your puny little will are the sovereign grace and almighty will of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Paul says, just remember how I was saved. Then you will recognize that I didn't and couldn't have made a thing up. It was all of God. Then in the rest of this chapter, he talks about his life after he was converted. Let me just read it quickly. We don't have time to go over it verse by verse, but look at verse 16, which is in the middle of a sentence. We'll read again verses 16 through 24. To reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Did it say, and then they were glorifying me for making a decision for Christ? No. And they were glorifying God because of me. Now, he mentions all these different places to impress us with the fact that before he was converted, he couldn't have thought this up. He said, when I was converted, it wasn't my initiative. It was all of God and his revelation, and I haven't had the opportunity since I've been converted to be taught by any man. He says, for instance, after my conversion, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I didn't confer with any human being. Well, Ananias baptized him, but Paul got no instruction from him. Now, most people think that as soon as Paul was converted, he just started out preaching. Well, it says in verse 17 that as soon as he was converted, he went out to the desert of Arabia. But he didn't go out to the desert to preach. He went out there for quiet solitude. And he stayed out in the desert for three years. He consulted with no one. Now, I'm sure during that time he was meditating on the Old Testament and the facts of the life and death of Christ and his conversion and the revelation that God had given him of the Lord Jesus Christ. And during those three years in the wilderness, just like the other apostles, he spent three years with Jesus being personally taught by him. So the apostle Paul, the last apostle, was personally taught by the Lord Jesus Christ in that wilderness for three years. Then after that wilderness experience in verses 18 through 20, he says he didn't visit Jerusalem except for one brief moment to simply make the acquaintance of the other apostles like Peter and James. 
but not to be taught by them. And this was three years after his conversion. He stayed in Jerusalem only 15 days, most of which time, according to Acts 9, he was preaching. In other words, he didn't have the opportunity to learn any of this from any man. He didn't visit Jerusalem for another 14 years, nor did he come across any of the other apostles. So he is, in effect, asking, when could I have been taught by man? And in verse 20, he says, none of this is a lie. So now in conclusion, beloved, I ask you, do you believe Paul's claim? It's as simple as that. Do you believe verses 11 and 12? For I would, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Well, if you do, you're a small minority in this world. Because most people today do not believe it. Some people today say that Paul is responsible for corrupting the simple Christianity of Jesus. Books are written to condemn Paul. And then they try to draw a wedge between Paul and Jesus. But Paul could not have misrepresented Christ if he was, in fact, as he claims, communicating a special revelation from Christ himself. And there is no reason for not believing Paul's claims. Others say that Paul was just an ordinary man, as fallible as any of the rest of us. So that his opinion is just as good or just as bad as anyone else's opinion. But Paul says as clearly as he knows how, this gospel is not my opinion. Now, if you created such a gospel, wouldn't you want people to know that it was you who created it? But he said, my message did not originate with me, but with God. Still others say that Paul simply reflected the views of the early Christian church of the first century. But Paul takes great pains to show us that could not have been. There was never the opportunity. Neither his authority nor his message originated with the church. It was from Christ. You have to ask yourself, do I regard what I am reading as the opinion of a fallible first century man? Or do I regard it for what it claims to be a special message to me from God? Your eternal life depends on your answer, beloved. Either you believe this book is the infallible word of God in its entirety, or you must throw the whole thing out. And without this book, there is no truth. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no right or wrong. There is no salvation. And we then are lost forever. But it proves itself, without a doubt, to be the inerrant word of God. 
and he will put to shame or destroy, he says, all those false teachers who in any way, any way, try to modify it by teaching another gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we know that if any of this gospel was of man, we would be hopeless. But we thank you that it is of you and that Christ alone is our salvation. For of you and through you and to you are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.